So if you would take your Bibles once again and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we've been making our way through 1 Timothy and uh, been learning a lot. There's been a lot of challenging things through this book, a lot of things that we're all learning together. And as I said last week, if you're not here, there was a reason why for many years I get to about chapter 3 and say, oh, I think I'm getting tired, I need to go a different direction. So we are able to get through that, and uh, it's amazing. I appreciate the encouragement and, and the many words that many of you said last week after sharing that message, and I uh, appreciate I'm so thankful for our church, and um, I love God's church. Um, to me, it's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. People look forward to the Super Bowl. It's one Sunday a year. Every Sunday is Super Bowl, man, in my book. We can come together to church and see all of our friends and family. I love our church. As we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're only going to go to the first two verses this morning. And then next week kind of starts a longer section of text that I knew I couldn't combine the two today to get all the way through it. So uh, I, in fear of saying it's going to be a shorter message, I won't say it. But... Uh, because we know what usually happens when I say that, it gets long. So uh, we won't do that, just not say it. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers. But serve them even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have once again to look at even this text of Scripture. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you'd help us to apply the the principles that we see in this passage, Lord. Uh, Even though they may not readily jump off the page, I ask God that you would help us with these. And help us to have an understanding heart and mind, Lord, as we look at your word and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, historians have estimated that nearly half of the Roman Empire during this time was made up of slaves. Um, It's not necessarily slaves in the sense that you might think of in the historical sense in the United States. But in the Roman Empire, it was similar, but yet not so similar. The idea of a slave, we all have an idea in our mind what brings or what that brings to our mind, and what, what that means, and so forth. But nearly half of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. It's estimated, at least. What may not be common knowledge was this. Most of these slaves were well-educated people. They were well-educated. They were rounded. They were people considered uh, uh, worthy of art and, and different uh, culturally well-known things. So it wasn't a typical slave as what you would consider in your mind, being that they were educated and somewhat well-rounded. However, as slaves, they were considered worthless and less than human. So in our minds, that's a hard thing to gather. The fact that there would be these well-educated folks, yet owned as property and considered worthless and as nothing in the Roman Empire. So you can imagine then the message of the gospel and the freedom in Christ was very appealing to them. I mean, can you imagine being a slave who is educated, yet considered worthless, being told that the message of the gospel will bring freedom to to you? It was very appealing. It was something that they were very interested in. And so, many, many slaves became followers of Christ, and when possible, many of these slaves would join local fellowships with non-slaves, in other words, 
those uh, who were other followers of Christ, normal people who were not under the bondage of slavery, they would join in fellowship with them whenever possible, and where being a slave was not a hindrance or an impediment to them. So they enjoyed the freedom of being with them. Well, here's where the problem arose and what sets up the context for what we're talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Many of the slaves, enjoying their newfound freedom in Christ, began to defy and even disobey the, slave, or the owners or their masters that were over them. You see, horizontally, they were slaves. They were property under man's authority. But vertically, they were in the same position as their non-slave fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this idea began to circulate and, and surface that, well, I'm in the same standing as them. They're free. Well, how is it that they get to boss us around? How is it that they get to own us when we are all one in Christ? But see, even though they were one in Christ, they were not one horizontally. They were worthless. They were owned pieces of property. And so this problem began to arise. And you know, I don't know about this. I can only imagine that this would be a difficult position to be in. Uh, not only for the slave, but also for the owner, the master. Can you imagine being a master who's walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, who is walking with God the Father, and at the same time, I own these people. I own them. I've paid for them. They are my property. They are my beings. And I tell them what they do, and they have to do it, or there's consequence. And at the same time saying, but now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're in the family of God. Can you imagine the dilemma that's going through in their minds? Because that's the stage of what we're looking at as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So vertically, these slaves were in the same position as other non-slave believers, but horizontally, they were property. So, and then you hear in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could do that in a right mind. It's like telling your son to clean his room or else. I'll clean it, but I really don't want to do it. Take out the trash. I'll do it, but it's only because I'm going to get a whooping if I don't. They had to do what they were told to do, but yet it was hard to do it with the right attitude, with the right spirit in mind. But yet God's Word talks about this over and over. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 21, it says, Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you, but if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. So as we look at that verse in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, it says, listen, if you have the opportunity to become free, by all means, wonderful, take that opportunity. Become a free man. Become like everyone else. But here's the idea behind it. And literally what this means in the Greek language is this. But even though you can become free... Make the most of your position as a slave. Make the most of my position as a slave? In other words, the idea is, until you are set free, until you have been given freedom physically, while you are still a slave, make the most of that position. That would be difficult. Anyone concur? I mean, I know I'm a slave. I'm underneath this bondage. He gets to tell me what to do and when to do it and for how long to do it. And yet at the same time, I have to make the most of this? Where's the hope in that? Where's the encouragement of that? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel in that? But the reality is, here's the deal. 
they have been able to experience the freedom of following Jesus Christ as slaves, but yet they're still had to be submissive to their master. And God's Word says, make the most of it. Until you become free, make the most of that position, being a slave. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Obey, slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling. Oh, stop right there. I don't think the fear and trembling part was probably so difficult for many of them because, you know, in our text we have two sets of, of masters. There is a saved set and there is an unsaved set. And I can only imagine that in some circumstances being working for one and not the other might have a little more fear involved. Because if you don't do it, there is punishment. If you're not following on my explicit demands, there are consequences to that. But he says, slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling. So it wasn't an opportunity to say, well, I think maybe today I'll obey. No, you had to do it. Otherwise, there were consequences. And if you've ever watched any type of TV show with the other type of slave that we have in our minds you can know that that wasn't pleasant. That wasn't something that we would have chosen to become part of. It wouldn't be something that we would be obliged to say, whoa, I'm thankful for this opportunity. It was not an easy circumstance. Not a pleasant one. But then he, says, he doesn't just stop there. He goes, he says, in the sincerity of your heart, as you would, who? Christ. Whoa. That almost kind of puts it just a little more emphasis on it, Right? Because now I can't just like, well, I'm just going to do what I have to do because if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. Now he says, now the motive of why you're doing what you do is important. Because the motive of your heart is that you need to do it as you would unto Christ. Wow, he said, well, Pastor, this, this really still doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. This really doesn't, you know, I don't have slaves. I mean, I'm not a slave owner. I'm not a master. What in the world does this have to do with me? Well, we'll come back to that question in just a moment. And then we see another passage in Titus chapter uh, 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, Slaves are to submit to their masters in... What's the word? Everything. Wait, stop right there. Whoa. In everything? In everything. Really? He says in everything. I mean, can you imagine getting up in the morning and saying, oh, I've got to go there because the master has put me at work over here today. And I don't have a choice in it. I've got to do it i got to do this. Why? Because I enjoy it? No, because I have to. Can you imagine living life out of fear and trembling? Out of obligation? Out of duty? You know, all the things that don't appeal to most of us as believers. See, we want to do what we do out of joy, out of excitement, out of, hey, I enjoy doing this. But all these things were required out of obligation because they were property. So he says... They're to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing. Oh, wait a minute. I thought this was talking to teenagers just for a moment. Not talking back. Now, I know your kids never did that. No, no mine either. Um, or stealing. Wow, this really characterizes and sums up what God expected of slaves. But demonstrating utter faithfulness. Think about what that would mean in your mind. Utter faithfulness. Is there room for wiggle there? No. 
Is there room to say, well, I know I did like 80% of what you told me to do, but this other 20 is not that big a deal? No. Is there room to say, well, hey, I, I did it, but I didn't enjoy doing it, and, you, and you know, you're really irritated because you made me do it. Is, is there room for that? No. He said these slaves were to do this with utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Wow. Say, so how in the world could they do this? How in the world could you be a slave in this Roman Empire? How in the world could you be a slave and have to do everything that you are told to do with a right motive? As if you're doing it under Christ. Because remember, I'm certain just like many of us have different employers, some of them are fun to work for, others not so much. I'm sure the masters were no different. Some, I'm sure, loved their slaves. Others, not so much. They were worthless, less than human pieces of property. And yet, the requirement for all of them who knew Jesus was the same. Utter faithfulness as unto Christ. So their motives mattered. Their attitude mattered. So, we see here in the text two groups of masters, as I said, saved and unsaved. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, first notice this, those slaves with unbelieving masters. We see this in verse 1. It says, All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect. That was the primary position here. They were to respect their masters. Uh, we've talked about the idea of respect. It means that it's the idea of giving honor. Um, and what is the idea of giving honor? We've talked about this many times. I talked about the gold pen. I got this gold pen, and I don't even have a pen on me right now. But if I had this gold pen, and I say, well, Pastor, I want that pen off you. Well, you can't have this pen. This pen is my pen. But I want that pen, Pastor. Oh, okay, you can have it for $50,000. I mean, it's solid gold barrel. I mean, it's got the best ink in there. I mean, this thing writes like no other pen. You want this pen, it's going to cost you $50. You know, $50, $50. Well, Pastor, you know, I, I can go down to Staples and get that, that, that pen for $19.99. Well, then go get one. But this one's mine. If you want this one, you're going to have to give me the money. Why? Because I've attributed a worth to it. To honor something, to value something, to respect something means that there is value to it. Right? So if you want this pen, it's going to cost you something because I've attributed a value a worth, a respect to it. So it's not worth it. No, but it is me because I put it on there. In the same way, slaves were to honor, respect, value even what their masters said. That would be difficult. But here's the rationale, as it says there in the verse. As worthy of all respect, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Two reasons. So that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. What's he saying here? He said, if you're a slave, and you're one of the slaves that have claimed to know Jesus Christ, in other words, you became a follower of Jesus, you now have a new supreme master. Yes, you may have a physical master, but he's underneath the supreme master. And as one being under the supreme master, you're not working for this one, you're working for that one. And if you're going to claim the name of Jesus Christ in your life, it's not about just giving this master 
uh, all authority and respect and worthiness and honor. It's about giving Jesus Christ honor. And if you don't give this one honor, you're blaspheming his name because you're claiming his name as a child of Christ, right? So it's not about the earthly master. It's about the heavenly master. And by not giving honor to this master, you're blaspheming the supreme master. So he says, so that his name will be honored. So that his name will be elevated. So that everybody will know when you say you are a follower of Christ, they look to him and not to you. There's a difference. Well, one might argue, so, well, this isn't fair. Why? I mean, is life fair? No. Not that I know of. I mean, I, there's been many times growing up where I thought, well, this ain't fair. Like all of us. And you've heard it, oh, cry me a river, build a bridge, get over it, because life ain't fair. Life ain't fair, is it? Did God ever promise it would be fair? No. So it comes back to, I believe, the sovereignty of God in our lives. Is God free to do whatever he wants to do with our lives? Absolutely he is. And who am I to question it? If we know Jesus Christ, we belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, What? Know you not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and you what? Are not your own. Why? Because he purchased you with his blood. So we don't have the right to say, Well, God, this isn't fair. Why do I have to do this? Because he says, I own you. I didn't force you to put your faith and trust in me. I gave you that opportunity. And I gave you the opportunity to do what was right, and I give you an opportunity to follow me and, to, and to, 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 to put your trust in me, and you're choosing not to do it. If we choose to do it, then we have one master that we're to follow because he's purchased us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, it says this, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Isn't that just a wonderful statement to have to hold to? I mean, it's easier to hold to a master who is kind and gentle and, and really wants the best of, uh, best of intentions for you, but this guy who's mean and cruel and rude and hateful and spiteful, do I have to follow him? Yep, same way. Exact same way. He says, For it brings favor if because of consciousness of God someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. He says, listen, bottom line is, you are going to, some of you, face unjust treatment. But the reality is it brings favor if you respond to it correctly. It says, for what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. He says, God will bless you. You'll endure God's favor if you will do what's right. Hmm. Not so easy sometimes, is it? But we must also remember we are always responsible for our own actions and reactions, right? I can't control what a lot of other people do. In fact, I don't know about you, but as a younger man, I would try to control those things. Does I want to, I'm a, anyone else like to control circumstances? Come on, guys, every hand should be up. If not, you're lying. I'm just saying, we are men, we try to control circumstances. It's what we do. Right, wrong, or otherwise, we do this. But we're responsible for our actions and reactions. 
there are a lot of things that I would not choose, a lot of things that I would not pick if I had an opportunity, but God has allowed them. And we come back to God's sovereignty. If God doesn't want us to experience something, guess what? He wouldn't have allowed it. A fire, an illness, a sickness, flat tire, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. If God didn't want you to go through it, he wouldn't have allowed it. Plain and simple. He's a sovereign God who can do whatever he wants. But whatever he allows, we have an opportunity to, re- to act and react according to what he wants us to learn from it. So are we asking, what, God, what, is, what is it that you want us to learn? How can I bring glory to you through these circumstances? And he makes it very clear. Always remember. It's for his glory. Remember that little verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31? Whether therefore you eat or drink, or what? Whatever you do, do all for your own selfish ambition. Oh, it doesn't say that. Do what is pleasing to yourself, right? No. He says, do all to the glory of God. This is something so simple, something so trivial as eating and drinking, something that we do every day throughout the day. He says, even in that, or whatever you're doing, do all to the glory of God. And this isn't whether or not you're a slave. It doesn't matter. All of us should be doing this, right? So, even though it may, un- may be a bit unfair, maybe it's, I don't like it. Or maybe it's, well, why didn't he have to do it? Or she have to do it? I'm only responsible for me. But these slaves, in the context of what we're talking about, there wasn't a lot of choice involved. The only choice they had is whether or not they are going to do it. And if they didn't do it, there was consequences. And if they did do it, they were supposed to do it as if they were doing it unto Christ. So the first group of people we have were those uh, unsaved, unbelieving masters. But the other group that we see in verse 2 are those that are believing masters. So in verse 2 he says, Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers. But serve them even better since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. So you have two groups here. You have unbelieving masters and then you have believing masters. So in the context of what was arising in this, in this circumstance here in the Roman Empire, you got these, belie- these, Jew- or these, I'm sorry, these uh, slaves who are saying, wow, there's freedom in Christ? I want that. And so many of them put their faith and trust in Christ and now they're in this context of, I've got a saving or a saved master, one who believes God like I do. Vertically, we're the same. Well, why is he treating me this way? I shouldn't have to be a slave to him if we're in the same position. But see, they had responsibilities too. In fact, uh, sl- slaves should not be disrespectful or even take advantage of their believing masters just because they're bro- brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because. So slaves should serve their masters even better. Why? He gives us three reasons. First one is this. Because they are believers. You should do your best because you are a believer. And because they are believers. You should do your best. This is where I want to fight with all the urge within me to say, let's parallel this to our work that we do for a living. It would be kind of a little bit unjust, a little bit unfair to completely make that whole practical transition from where you work and having saved bosses and supervisors and 
you know, people that control you in management versus those that are not saved and so forth. There wouldn't be a fair apple-to-apple -apple comparison. But there are some overlying parallels here, if we could draw a couple of practical applications here. My boss is a jerk. Does, does he not realize that he's asking me to do something that's just stupid? Come on. All of us are going to have authority. All of us are going to have those who are over us, whether it be position or whether it be uh, wherever you're at in life, in a, in a, in a job. You're, you're going to have authority over you somewhere, somehow. And I found in life that there are those that tell you to do something that, frankly, just doesn't make sense. It's dumb. But my job as a believer is to obey those that are in authority over me, right or wrong. Oh, we hate saying that one. Isn't that true, though? We don't like authority. None of us does. We don't like authority. None of us says, Woohoo! I got seven bosses over me. Praise God. Get to bow down to every one of them, do everything they say. Woo! No. We don't like authority. It goes against our nature to want to submit to someone else that we think has a dumb idea that we have to obey. But it's not our responsibility, is it? Our responsibility is to honor God. And the first reason, he says here, slaves should have served their masters was because they are believers. And God is sovereign, and they're the authority that he's allowed in my life. We're to do our best. Period. I personally believe, as a child of God, we ought to be the best employees. I believe that. I believe that we ought to work harder than everyone else. I believe that we ought to do our best to make our bosses look good. I believe that when I was working in a factory, I wanted to make my boss look good. When I, wanted to, when I was working in the factory going through college, I wanted to do the best job I could. I wanted to be the cream of the crop. I wanted to do the best I could because when you do well, everyone does well. But there are so many people who say, I'm just going to do what I have to do to just to get by. That's terrible. If you're a child of God, you should work your hardest. You should do the best job that you can because you are a picture of Christ if you claim Him. If you gripe and complain with everything that you do, guess what? Poor testimony for the cause of Christ. By the way, I hate management. I can't stand it. They're a bunch of jerks. They're always bossing us around. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know this end from that end. Oh, by the way, you want to go to church Sunday with me? You've lost the ability to have a testimony for Christ when you don't be a picture of Christ in your workplace. We all have authority. But we're children of God, right? Think about that. We are a picture of Christ where we're at. So be that picture of Christ. Number two... Because they are loved by their masters. You say, well, did these Christian masters, were these believing masters really love their servants? Yes, they did. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Colossians 4, 1. He says, you have a responsibility to do justly and fairly with them. Because you too will have a master. And guess what? You're going to stand before him one day. You'll give an account of how you treat these slaves. You'll give an account of how you respond to their needs. 
In fact, in Philemon verse 16, it says, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. Wow. Can you imagine being the slave, the owned piece of property, having a master who is also a follower of Christ saying, you're my brother. You're my brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He said, you're not just an owner. We're brothers. We're a family. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine being the slave saying, hey, I'm part of your family? Wow. And then number three, he gives us a third reason why slaves should serve their masters even better. The third reason is because there's mutual benefit from each other's service. Work is accomplished. He says this, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. So he says they are loved. And there's a mutual benefit for with working together. Yes, you may be a slave, and I may be your master, but you're part of my family as followers of Christ. And as such, we're working together to see things accomplished. So it was more than just a, I own you. There's a relationship. Was that in every circumstance ever under the sun? No, because there's two groups of masters, remember? Saved and unsaved. Followers and non-followers. But the question is with those believers, or those slaves who became believers in Christ, how are they going to respond to what God has told them to do? So how do I apply all this? I only come up with two things, folks, but I think they're realistic to all of us in this room today. So I'm not a slave, I'm not a master. I don't live in the Roman Empire. I live in Rochester or surrounding communities. What does this have to do with me? Well, here's why I find a parallel. Number one, as followers of Christ, we should do our best. Amen? Why do we do things half-heartedly sometimes? Why do we do just enough to get by? Why do we do enough to just say, well, hey, I was there, but eh, someone else will do it better? We should do our best. We're children of God. And he says, do everything you do as unto the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. We should do our best. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, not with eye service as men pleases, but doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, I remember working at the factory, and I remember painting these big cabinets that would come down the line. And I can remember the guy who was next to me, he was a drunk. Most days, five days out of the week, three, three days he came in 15 minutes to an hour late because he was drunk from the night before. I felt like I was always doing double work because the guy who I worked with was a drunk. The only time I saw that guy hustle and work hard was when he could see, because where our booth was, you could see the long hallway, and he could see the guys, the supervisor making his rounds. And he knew about how every so many minutes this guy was going to be coming back through. And when the guy was about to come through, he'd stand up and get going again. And as soon as he'd pass, he'd sit back down on his butt and barely do anything. And it was frustrating because his lack of work affected my ability to work. It was a team job, and it was irritating. Maybe you've worked with someone like that. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers. I don't just do what I'm supposed to do when I think somebody's watching me. When I think that somebody may catch me doing wrong. You see, doing what you're supposed to do when nobody watches is called character. It's called integrity. And you ought to have it as God's child. 
but doing the will of God from the heart. Why? Because that's what he's called us to. So as followers of Christ, we should do our best. And number two, there will always be those who don't treat others right. Still treat them right. Isn't that easy? No. Difficult, isn't it? Do unto others as they do to you. No, that's, 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 that's not scripture. But we hear that a lot. Do unto others as they do to you. No, 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 no. Even though they may treat you wrong, still treat them right. Why? Because you're a picture of Christ in their life. Right? I'm not responsible for other people and what they do. I am responsible for me. I'm just telling you, that's a, that, that's a job in itself. I'm just saying. I applaud some of you that work for the world, and it's not easy. Hans needs a gold crown, I'm just telling you. He needs a golden crown where he works. Dealing with people and, ugh. Others, you know that. You experience that. I don't know how you do it. We've all been there one time or another. But you're a picture of Christ in this world. And even though they may not treat you right, you treat them right because you're God's child. You're a picture of him to the unbelieving world. You may be the only picture of Jesus that some people see. What are they seeing? We may not have a slave. We may not be a master. But in the same way, we have authority. And some of us have authority to lead. Some of us are submissive to authority. How do you respond to those circumstances? Are you being a picture of Christ? Let's pray.